Hey, Yogi, Sarah Burchard here, and you are listening to Yoga Unplugged Conversations, a show dedicated to helping you grow, thrive, and gracefully make tough life decisions so you can lead a happier, healthier life. On this show, we discuss common challenges that everyone can relate to and apply philosophy and practical tools that have been proven to be effective solutions. If you struggle with communicating your thoughts and opinions in an effective way, you will surely benefit from today's show. Today, we are going to discuss how to build your confidence and communication skills using the power of your own voice. Ever wonder what the purpose of chanting in a yoga class is? I did too. It's a more powerful tool than you may think. And today, we're going to learn more about why that is with my guest, Stephanie Kong. Stephanie is a former vocalist who performed in theater before shifting her gift from entertaining others to helping others. She now teaches singing meditation through an offering she calls Mindful Voice, to help her clients cultivate what she calls a listening awareness. She also teaches yoga and yoga teacher trainings, specializing in conveying the transformational power of sound and mantra. She is a brilliant scholar, and I'm going to do my best just to try and keep up with her today. (laughs) Stephanie, welcome to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, dang. No pressure whatsoever. I'll try my best to be as brilliant and sparkling as your introductory comments suggest. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you will exceed expectations. I'm glad one of us is sure. (laughs) I'd like to start, if I may, by learning more about your background and having you paint a picture for us of how you originally became interested in voice-based meditations. Great question. Well, I was born on a cloudy Sunday Mm. and... (laughs) A while after that, actually, I discovered that a big, big musical, uninhibited voice is not typically rewarded. I had no idea as a little kid. And so my kind of sheltered childhood, singing at the top of my lungs and being encouraged to do so, and even enjoying harmonies sung by my dad or accompanied by my mother on ukulele or my dad on guitar, those were not typical childhood experiences of quote unquote loud kids. So I learned very quickly to harness the power of my voice in situations where my family wasn't the only one present. And I was the only child all the way up until I was four years old. So I had a number of years being rather uninhibited with my voice. The only time I get criticism is when I sang like a wrong note. And that really drove home my commitment to integrity. Not necessarily that I had to be perfect, but I had to have intended that manifestation of my sound vibration. And if I had intended to sing that note that wasn't in the song, my parents would go, oh, okay, you meant to do that. But if it was like, oh no, a mistake, then go back, do it again, just try again. It's no big deal. No one will die because you sang a wrong note. And that's not a lesson that people get early on in life. No one will die if you say the wrong thing. Often the message is the opposite. If you say the wrong thing, you will be punished, or worse, ostracized. And so we learn, we as human beings, I'm speaking collectively now, we learn that voice is risky. And instead of stepping into that risky sound space, we choose to remain silent because whatever we risk personally seems less important than what we might risk collectively. That is, if I damage the whole by contributing something awful or wrong with my voice. So my interest started very, very early in my life when I realized that there were ways to use my personal sound 
that were supported by my environment and the same sound were, was not supported in other environments and that other people's sounds didn't seem to be supported at all in any environment, even though I was doing my best to do and be and offer support. So fast forward, now I'm a young adult. I discover that I have some skill. I win a bunch of, you know, those contests that Beyonce won uh-huh. before she became Beyonce. <laughs> okay. So I was winning those contests and realizing, oh, maybe this has some commercial application. Fast forward a number of years, I'm a touring professional. I'm doing voice work and I'm losing my voice all the time. And as it turns out, Sarah, one cannot continue sustainably, continue using one's sacred inner vibration for misaligned commercial gain and remain healthy. Hmm. Interesting. As it turns out, I know, who would have thought you and I as <laughs> long-term yoginis, gee, <laughs> I did not realize that. So I got very, very sick and that culminated in a vocal surgery in mm-hmm. 2007. Yeah, I had already been practicing yoga. I was singing OM in every single yoga class. It felt great. I, would, I was the person in yoga class, I confess, that was singing a harmony on OM. Mm-hmm. so that we'd make a chord. And I thought that was really funny. I would usually pick a third uh, for the musicians that are listening. It's a very satisfying kind of, there's some tension, but it's got a nice satisfying round sound. It's a very uplifting sound. In the Indian tradition, it's sa ga. And in the Western solfege tradition, it's um, do mi, the one three combo. It's really pretty. You can play it on a piano, it's lovely. And I didn't take the sound of the yoga practice further than that. I just thought OM is a great way to unite in a voice before we start moving in body. And I didn't see the connection between the two. So I know this is kind of getting into like life story bit, but I will, I'm tying this hopefully pretty tightly to answering your question that my curiosity did not begin until I was injured. And I think this is a, Yeah, it's a deeply human thing that when we as individuals overcome some sort of very personal struggle, we realize that the questions that we're asking ourselves through that trauma are actually universal and that the problems or the challenges or the injuries do not vary in fact, they only vary in scale. And the scale of my injury was relatively big, but that does not mean that I was alone. In fact, I found so many people that had hurt themselves by misaligned or unmindful use of voice. Hmm. So my interest started there. Beautiful childhood. I hope my parents are listening to this because (laughs) thanks mom and dad. (laughs) They are great. They're wonderful. (laughs) They're goals. Um, it's it, you know, it, it reminds me of so my dad was a musician. He was a singer and a piano player and he would come home from work very late at night. I was in bed obviously, but my mom told me that he would come home and she would fix him hot chicken broth because his voice was just toast. Like his throat mm. hurt so bad. Yeah. And yeah, after a while it just does a number on you, huh? It really does. There's a really strange, especially as a musician, a really strange dichotomy 
I can say this because I was one. So there's songwriting and there's practice and there's what instrumentalists call being in the shed. In the shed is when you take your instrument and you go into a literal shed and you make all the noise you want because you're isolated in a shed. But that's when your skills really come up and your endurance really comes up. So we spend all this, all this time in sort of self-enforced introversion. And then the next time we're asked to socialize, we are the center of attention in a very large group of people. And that is freaking weird. <laughs> not, just, not just personally on a manifest physical level, but energetically. I spend a lot of time by myself, listening to myself, doing that recursive loop of expression and reception. You know, I sing or I practice, I listen, I receive, I integrate, I sing, I practice, I listen, I receive, I integrate that loop. And then I go out into the world and I stand on a stage or I sit in a circle or I lead a classroom and suddenly the recursion includes not just me and not just one other person and not just a small group of vibrations I know very well, but a room full of strangers. Not all strangers, but there are strangers in the mix and that's enough to make it feel a little strange. And this is my chosen job and was your dad's I don't know if he's still doing it, chosen contribution to the world in that way. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. And I'm just saying this with the most love I can, I can communicate in my voice. Hopefully it's weird. Mm -hmm. It's a lot to ask. Mm -hmm. Chicken soup sounds wonderful after a long gig, by the way, that's (laughs) just what, just what the body needs is some very subtle nourishment And veggie broth would also work, miso soup, anything warm and nourishing, because you're replenishing not just the physical, maybe depletion or certainly expenditure, but also the psycho-emotional, spiritual expenditure of pushing your energy body out into a wider net than usual. Mm -hmm. People are held, yeah, by you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you have to re-comfort yourself at the end. Yeah. yeah, the spanda, spanda, the divine vibration, the divine pulsation. And when you pulse, when we pulse all the way out, it's a natural reaction of physical reality to pulse back inward. Yeah. So let's talk about nada yoga. What mm. is nada yoga? Nada yoga, nada. In Western languages, we use the word nada to think of nothing. Zip, zero, nada. And nada in that frame can mean silence. Nada can also mean sound, the nod, the vibration that is constant. So nada yoga is the yoking of that subtle divine vibration that is manifest in sound, that is physical movement in waveforms, is vibration that is perceivable by ears. Um, And the silence, that essential vibration that pervades all, even when there is no perceivable manifest sound. So that that unity um, ostensibly humans practice nada yoga. So it is also a unification, a yoking, a yoga of our seemingly individual beings with the universal sound, with our own silence, with the universal silence, 
and so on. So it's a very expansive mm. Nada Yoga um, yeah, it's heading. Very, very connective. Very inclusive, yeah. It is simultaneously inclusive, connective, and I, I will make this bold statement, it is rigorous. That is, an energy and a diligence is demanded of its participants. Because they're, I don't know, last time I checked, you can't kind of breathe. <laughs> Certainly there are fuller and less full breaths and there are more aligned or more connected physically hooked up breaths and more aware breaths and those kinds of things. But either you're breathing or you're not, it's kind of binary, it's sort of like being pregnant. Mm -hmm. And and certainly there are things that are more facile and there are things that are more stable and things that are not. But you know, the facts are the facts. It's yes or no, are you breathing or are you not? So when we participate in a practice of Nada Yoga, either you're vibrationally engaged or you're not. Even if you're thinking about what you had for lunch and how your nose is itchy and this floor is really hard and you want another cushion, but you feel embarrassed to get up and get it. And what is this teacher prattling on about? And oh my gosh, I'm such a bad meditator, all these things. Or the other side of the coin, I'm such a good meditator. This is great. I love what the teacher's wearing. You know, these kinds of thoughts. Even if we think, oh, maybe I'm not doing this well, you're still doing it. If you're engaged in the act of breathing and singing, chanting, or what have you in the Nadi yoga practice, listening even actively, then you're engaged with the work, you're doing it. So it's yeah. in that sense, binary. It's very expansive and easy and simultaneously rigorous and kind of demanding Yeah, in a, yeah. In a loving way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, and, and that's, you know, that's why like a lot of people say like, you know, don't worry about if you thought your way through you know, throughout your whole meditation practice, you're still doing it. You're still there, yes. you're still engaged. So yes. everything counts. And I, I just finished reading The Secrets of Meditation by David G. Have you read that? I have not. Uh, That's a very provocative title. If anyone is interested in starting a meditation practice, this is a great primer. I highly recommend it. Beautiful. But in, the, in the book, there's a couple of chapters dedicated to sound and chanting. And uh -huh. he says that when you repeat a word or a phrase over and over again, it becomes part of your physiology. Yes. Basically, it becomes a part of who you are. And yes. he also says that it has the power to bring you to higher states of consciousness. Uh -huh. This ties in perfectly with what you're saying. And I'm wondering how does fusing sound with who we are help us build confidence and become better communicators? Ah, oh, love. So I'm going to deconstruct your question and cool. say that our sound is who we are. Mm-hmm. From the, from the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, in whatever translation you select, the, the translation I've read is by Swami Lakshman Ju, J-O-O Ju, and you can just Google Tantra Ju translation, uh, Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, Swami Lakshman Ju. And it says, basically, that the sound of your being is the only thing that you take with you from birth to birth. And we can interpret this from any number of perspectives. The two main ones that come to the mind of most Western practitioners are, okay, well, I can believe in reincarnation, literal reincarnation of the same soul in a physical body, and the sound of that vibration, that organized, physicalized waveform of energy is consistent from birth to birth. Or I can go into Stephanie's past, like I just talked about, my 
vibrant, exuberant four-year-old voice, my budding professional touring performer voice, my insecure grad student voice into the voice that I have today, all of those voices are recognizably Stephanie. Even though there are variations, of course, it doesn't sound like exactly the same person, there is something in there that I, to this day, as a vocal professional and as a teacher of this work, I still struggle to describe what is that essence that would suggest not only to me, but to a listener who's never heard my voice before to go, oh, that's the same speaker as a little kid. Or, oh, that little kid grew up into to that, that young adult. That's the same voice. I can still hear that. Hmm. Um, if you think of any like child actor, that's very clear. If you listen to, what's his name, Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe mm-hmm. now, and you go back and for whatever reason, like, I don't know, maybe you just had a family party and they put on the first Harry Potter for all the cousins, the baby cousins. Mm-hmm. And you listen and you go, oh my gosh, listen to his little baby voice. But nothing in you questions whether or not that's him. Mm-hmm. You know that that's him, even though it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the line. Okay, so there is that sound of our being that is always consistent with our physical voice, our being, our vibration, our essential part. Yeah, when my body falls away, when every role I've ever played in my life on stage or off stage, because we're all fulfilling roles of some kind, when all of that falls away, when my values fall away, when even my work, my impact in the world falls away, the vibration of energy that I have organized by my contribution to the universal soup will remain. So this is very comforting. It's, it sounds daunting, right? Like, oh my God, my voice is going <laughs> to last forever, right? But it's also very comforting because that means it didn't come from you. So if you are in your shit and feeling terrible, like, like a clod of dirt on the bottom of a terrible old shoe, it's not just yours. It came before you. It preceded you by millennia, by longer. Your vibration is crystallized in you for now, but it came at the beginning of the universe or maybe before, and it will last beyond you. So any amount of awareness, of organization, of intention, of loving kindness that you imbue your voice with now in this lifetime, in this body, in this moment, will last effectively play some dramatic music for <laughs> forever. Wow. Yeah, it's lovely. It's such an unbinding gift and also like a real, real encouragement. Like, hey, all that stuff that came before, you didn't even know about it. And now that you do, you can organize it and that will last forever. I can't even say that about my fridge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is deep. Yeah, girl, it's deep in here. (laughs) It is deep. It's always deep, but it's also shallow as well. That's one of the things I get every time I'm on a sailboat, like the vastness of the ocean. Sailboats thrill and terrify me for the exact same reason that nada yoga does. Because on a road, I can go, or in a parking lot, let's say, is more like the ocean. Because you can go in any direction. There's no lines, right? You can go across this entire two-dimensional field, but you can also go in three dimensions if you consider that on a sailboat, not an ideal option, but an ever-present possibility is that you go down, Hmm. opening up the third dimension. And uh, you can, of course, go up and you can go in 
swirly patterns and if anyone's ever been on a sailboat that's listening to this on the open sea you know that those three dimensions are very very palpable from wherever you are on that sailing vessel but that's what sound feels like you're literally dancing uh, in all of the dimensions at once including as we just discussed the dimension of time so I'm gonna I'm gonna take us really deep again, and then I swear we can talk about something lighter. Um, are you Are you down? I'm into it. I'm into it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're Go just there. gonna just put 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 your scuba gear on. We are highly certified now. Let's dive. Okay. So in the sound space, I have yes uh, established that I've got stuff that came before me that shaped my sound, the sound that I'm aware of today, and I acknowledge that this sound, this vibration, this energy will go on long after me. However, that means that in my thoughts, in my intentions, in my heart, I can literally sing with the voices, with the movements of vibration, with the energies of my ancestors. I can connect, I can sing with my grandfather who passed away. I can sing with his grandfather who I've never met. And I can sing with the future generations that I cannot know in this lifetime. And that brings me to tears almost every time. <laughs> I, I feel such a deep, beautiful connection to everything that I know, everything that I don't know, everything that has come before that I know and that I don't know and everything that will come after, known and unknown. And it is just really, really hard to feel lonely in that or purposeless, or aimless, or futile, all of the things that come from the great human sickness of isolation, all of that goes away. And not because I've thought of something that comforts me, it's because I'm singing and physically, actually, like really literally connecting at all of those levels, in all of those dimensions, with all of those energies, at the time I am singing. It is so simple and so immediate that babies do it without any training. Babies are like the worst. They're so untrained. And, and people that have suffered from trauma and people that are working through some shitstorm in their lives and so on and so on and so on people that cannot otherwise receive touch, people that can't move on purpose other than to breathe or to shape their voice, all of these applications. And it's fun. Like, bonus, it's fun. <laughs> well, it's a feeling thing, you know? It's, it's mm. When you're singing, you can really feel it in your body and, and it feels good. Yeah. Well, when it feels good, it feels good. Yeah. Let's talk about sounds versus words. I've heard mm. that when you chant sounds that have no meaning, it helps you remove thought from your meditation practice. Yes. But then there's also this practice of incorporating affirmations and chanting personal mantras when you meditate so that you can start manifesting these ideas or these thoughts into your life. Yes. Do you find it is, and I don't know if this is a better or worse conversation, I think they're just different, but you know, what's the difference between chanting meaningless sounds versus words? And why is one better than the other or, or maybe not? There is a effect of every practice. 
And because we are physical creatures bound by space and time, I'm going to give you a really, really pragmatic answer and hopefully thereby be the most broad and the most specific at the same time. So lofty goals, I know, but let's get in there, Sarah. So this is, this is Stephanie's official answer to that really, really beautiful and expansive question. That is, if I remove language and sing just sounds, then sure, I can unbuckle from my thought habits and connect more deeply to either my physical sound making process or to whatever part of me is listening, the observer, the awareness, pure consciousness, Shiva, whatever. I can surrender to that and receive vibration purely without language and without thought. Great. That can be useful if what that individual needs is an unbuckling from conscious thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can tell you know where I'm going with this. That yeah. was a very knowing. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully listeners are with us. And that is if what we need is to reprogram thoughts, then going in with a mantra or an affirmation, whether that's in your, your native language or a different language, that's very, very useful. Yes. So better, worse, more or less aligned. Ah, I can't really speak to that because this audience is very broad that we're, we're sharing with right now. However, I will say that within myself, I need different things at different times. Mm. And I am the most accurate discerner of what I need. And sometimes I'll crave exactly what's bad for me, you know, like mint Christmas (laughs) M&Ms are just generally not a good idea for me personally. And yet if I find a bag of them in March, (laughs) I'm not calling myself out at all. Uh, They get eaten is what I'm going to say. And even though that's something that I engage with, uh, that's not necessarily a choice that's aligned for my highest good, but it serves a purpose. I learn, I experience, I digest, and digestion practice is always good. Um, And before I go off on too much of a tangent, let let me tie it right back here. That is every experience, every intentional practice has an effect. Every unintentional practice has an effect. So for the intentional ones, we get to choose that effect. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And and therefore each either one is good depending on if you have an intention for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing that people get hung up on is wanting to know what the right answer is. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And that's because we live in a culture of top 10 lists. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants number 1, obviously. Why would you want the number 8 best blender if you can afford the number 1 best blender? So we assume that therefore, and this is what we do because brains are very good at making connections and associations. And so your brain that has been educated and experienced goes, aha, so what are the 10 best meditation practices? And I don't want to do number two or three. I want to do number one. And my question is always for what? Number one for what? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a variety of tools that you can use. You know, you you can select what you need in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I have a Vitamix and it's huge. It is not the best blender for a tiny, tiny kitchen. It's great for making soup for four. I don't always have to make soup for four, but I have that capacity in my blender. So even in other physical things, because not a yoga and meditation are physical practices. A blender is a physical 
well, it's a tool, but it's also physical. There are appropriate alignments. There are, uh, you can say successful or right or correct or best alignments, but they're so highly individual that to speak uh, of certain recommendations in a really broad context is sort of futile and maybe frustrating or at worst misleading because, you know, I'd hate to say, yes, this is the best practice. Um, and then not have the not have the full discernment that an individual might have in creating their own circumstances. And then I would rob them, of course, of the, the opportunity to make that choice for themselves and risk messing it up. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. All, yeah. All part of the process. And again, that, I think that's why I like the, the Secrets of Meditation book so much is because he goes through almost practically every style of meditation. Mm-hmm. And so you really just you have this buffet of options and you can choose whatever works for you. And like we just said, in whatever time that you need it. So maybe sometimes I need yoga nidra over my silent mantra meditation, you know, mm-hmm. or sometimes I need to do some affirmations to manifest something and then I'll meditate on that. So yeah, I think it's really cool just knowing what all the options are so that you can have them to select from whenever you need to. Yeah. I, I I personally use a, a mantra in my meditation practice. I have a daily meditation practice and mm-hmm. I was given one intended specifically for me by my teacher that has no meaning. And what it does is it keeps me grounded in my practice and it gives me something to come back to when my mind begins to wander like an anchor. Mm-hmm. I always wonder though if the sound that this mantra makes in my head has any significance and are there particular sounds that are more effective during meditation than others? Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. There are certain sounds in all natural languages that engender certain emotional states. And this is most evident in a funny example that I'll share with you now. That is, would you ever sue the baby? So just imagine you've got a sweet little baby, maybe a little, maybe on the verge of tears, yeah. uh, but, but not quite wailing and certainly not in any physical distress, just kind of a little upset and, and they're, they're wanting comfort. And you have this baby in your arms and you want to provide that comfort. And so you go, <laughs> Yeah, I get your point. <laughs> I have told that joke in India and Sweden and Australia and Japan and in the continental US and California and in Maine and in Chicago and every single person either laughs or shakes their head like that is crazy pants. No (laughs) one would do that. Right. So that's my example. I guess um, we inherently know what the good sounds are or what the sounds that we want to hear are to make it soothing. Yeah. Yeah. A soothing sound is not that. And I will, I will say um, again, to kind of unpack this good, bad, best, worst, whatever, that that sound is really, really useful for mobilization and activation. And it is not good for soothing a baby. (laughs) So so there are these things I, I teach when I am in a teacher training mode, sometimes I, I contribute to yoga teacher trainings uh, in Hawaii and all over the world where the, the contribution they want from me is Sanskrit scholarship. And so I go in and we do some, some, some of that 
type of learning, and I come in it from a tantric, uh, non-dogmatic perspective, where the pronunciation itself is energetically aligned and not necessarily tied to any particular uh, philosophical system. It's really inclusive in that way. And every sound that we can make as humans has some sort of energetic effect. And we might agree or disagree as individuals on how to describe that effect. And people get very attached to their descriptors. And that's when people get called wrong or right or on the same page or not on the same page. But this varies in expression and alignment with the individual, not in the effects themselves. So it's a tricky thing to describe where just imagine that you were born with rose-colored glasses, except they're your eyeballs. So everything that you look at has that kind of tint, Mm -hmm. right? And now imagine that I have blue tint, okay? And we look at something that is white, and I'm going to describe it one way, and you're going to describe it another way, and we might get into an argument about how that color, quote-unquote, really is. Mm -hmm. And this is this is very true with color. Like we see that in social media. Like there was that whole, like what color is the dress thing a couple years ago and people were swearing that it was one thing and other people were swearing it was the other. And it has to do with a lot of light refraction and devices and uh, digital representation and all these kinds of things. But with sound, with sound, that vibration goes a lot further than visual information because it is movement. Visual stimulus is based in light, and light doesn't move our bodies in the same way that vibration does. Sound is vibration, is movement. We are moving when we receive sound and certainly when we produce sound. So the variability in the effects of movement on a person's body is very high. Not everyone should do Zumba. Not everyone should do CrossFit. Not everyone should do, and you know, yoga teachers hang me out to dry. Just go ahead, go ahead and come for me, come for me. Not everybody should do yogasana. And of course, there are so many variations of Zumba and CrossFit and yogasana. I don't mean any of those things, but there are some practices that are inappropriate for some bodies. Mm-hmm. I think we can agree that that's true. Mm-hmm. So there are some sounds that people are going to have natural aversions to, and they're going to go like, oh God, that sound is terrible. And other people will go, I like it actually. Yeah. That's why different people have different preferences in music. Yeah, totally. And in mantra and in chanting practices and in meditation. So that's that. I know long answer to your very terse question, but I hope we I hope our listeners got some some good juice out of that. That it's yeah. really the onus is really on the individual. Let's um let's dig into how one practices sound-based yoga the the kind of the action steps that are related to to this kind of yoga that one can take in order to build this confidence and the communication skills yes okay um, and please tie that into what you specifically do with your clients and students oh i will thank you for that i i will i am uh, so delighted to share the work that i share it is a privilege and an honor to get to work with people one-on-one in a really intimate way. On the outside, my work days look like two people singing at their laptops, which (laughs) if you're a fly on the wall, looks 
insane. I mean, it's 2020. It doesn't look that insane. But when you think about what it takes for two people across the world to be sharing ancient practices over Wi-Fi is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. That is the most 2020 thing to do, I think. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's cool though, right? Yeah, yeah. It's next to lapse of clarity. Yeah. Totally, totally. And it's night for them and it's day for me. And we are doing this ancient, ancient thing, activating our connection to spirit and ancestors and progeny. And it's fun and we're laughing. And then the the internet goes out and we're just like, oh my gosh, we literally wouldn't be able to do this in any other time in history. It's beautiful. So that's what my work looks like on the outside. And I'll now talk about some practical details of how somebody could do it themselves. And maybe I'm just going to throw this out there, Sarah, maybe I will get you and me to do this on the podcast in just a few minutes here okay. together. I swear to God, it only will take a couple minutes. Okay. So it won't be like a like a crazy, um, you know, spiritual surgery in front of our entire podcast audience. It'll just be this very light touch, uh, but it but it can touch some deep things. So just to put that out there, only if you're open to it, think about it as I explain uh, the practical details of how to do this practice and why okay. or what it's connected to. So here we go. The most important aspect of any Nada yoga practice is the deep listening throughout similar to a mindful movement practice, which could be yogasana or it could be going on a meditative run, uh, really any, any ways of participating in the physical world with our physical bodies, minds, spirits, breaths, that awareness is what elevates the practice from everyday use of voice and attention to a sacred use of voice and attention. Just the power of focus, mm. awareness, that's it. Mm -hmm. So I can sing Lady Gaga with the windows down on the freeway and have it be a transcendent spiritual experience. There is no correct outward manifestation of the connection that can only be inside. So there are some things kind of throwing back to what we were talking about with unbinding from thoughts by using words or not using words or rewriting thoughts by using certain words as opposed to other words. If I am singing uh, a song that talks about dropping dollars in the club, <laughs> then maybe that would be a distracting image to my inner communion. Mm. Maybe not. But for me, generally speaking, it might um, not if you're trying to manifest money. Right? <laughs> yeah. When all them bitches know your name. Like that's... Yeah, you're trying to find a wife, right? Yeah, I, you know. <laughs> or, you know, maybe just somebody... Or lots of friends for activities. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, it could be the, the thoughts that you're, you're consciously authoring. Um, but my point is that if, if the lyrics or content thought-based in the sounds that you're creating are either not aligned or simply distracting. Like if you're trying to remember what was the second verse again, then you're probably less focused on divine connection. Mm -hmm. So, so there's that just as a consideration and, and there's a commitment inherent to that deep focus that further elevates our attention 
to the sacred because I, I am so immersed in the physical sensations of chanting or singing, the spiritual awakening, awareness, alignment of chanting or singing, the breath, the sound itself, the effects on my environment that I really can't be doing anything else. So in that way, singing along to Lady Gaga while driving on the freeway, I have other priorities, like keeping myself and the other drivers safe, Mm -hmm. right? So I can't like fully bliss out. So the dedication and the commitment and the, the rigor in that direction is also very important. So let us assume that then that, that said, all that preparatory, inclusive, compassionate, meet people where they're at information being said, my recommendation for those reasons is to sit in a relatively quiet space where you know you won't freak anyone out if you get loud and to put some sort of musical droning sound into the environment whether that's, uh, I use a YouTube video of a tanpura, that is an instrument, tanpura, T-A-N-P-U-R-A, you can Google it, and it creates a, a sonic foundation, not unlike the flat, stable floor in a yoga studio on which to practice. So the drone sound gives a context, and from that, I listen. I listen to my inner vibration as my breath and i without singing i imagine what it might be like to sing in this body in this moment in this space and i hear in my heart in my body in my mind that vibration before it ever becomes manifest and that is another aspect of the deep listening we were just talking about earlier when I can hear my voice without it actually manifesting in physical reality, the subtle sound. From there, I sing. So, and that might turn into, and that might turn into, do some reflection. I, in that moment, just staying with what's alive right now, since that demonstration, I feel creative and also grounded and just a little bit, a little bit shaky. And what that shakiness is from, I could theorize, I could take a guess. Uh, The most important thing for me now, though, is just to say, oh, there's a little bit of a quiver in my voice, a vibrato, if you will, that is sometimes useful and sometimes not. And It just came out, and so I'm acknowledging it. From there, I might go into a chanting practice. I chant with Sanskrit mantra. So I might, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. Do that over and over. And if I've got a mala and I'm practicing japa, practicing repetition with my mala, my strand of beads, I might do that for 108 times or whatever. And then I drop back eventually into listening, listening to the after effect 
of what I just sang because the movement continues. That's the beautiful thing about vibration is that the echo, the after sound continues pretty long after the physical sound has stopped. So I enjoy that after effect. And then slowly I let in the outside connections to establish themselves again. So I listen to like what's happening to my breath and how does my butt feel on my cushion and are there birds or traffic sounds outside my window and huh, I wonder if that's the mailman in the driveway and oh yeah, I am a little hungry for lunch and oh, now I'm out. Now I've got my everyday awareness back. It's not, uh, it's not really advisable to walk around with meditative awareness when you're trying to just go to the grocery store. That's right. Uh, yeah, you yeah. end up staring. Yeah, you end up staring at the bulk oatmeal for like five <laughs> minutes longer than you need to. I've, I've done it. Totally done it. I was like, oh, I should not have. And, and I walked to the grocery store, right? So that just extends the, the mm. meditative space instead of getting in my car, which immediately sort of slams me into safety mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So 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 these things happen. Time and a place, as you said. Yeah. yeah and I'm I'm glad that you brought up that space that you take after the sound stops because I think that's it's a really beautiful thing it's you know when you're done chanting om at the end of a yoga class or after kirtan or something like that and everybody's bowing and you're just sort of basking in this feeling uh, that you just received from doing that and it's really important to take a mo and and enjoy it totes I mean, it's it's, like one, of the reasons, it's like one of the reasons why you do Shavasana at the end of an asana, you know, it's just you're taking it all in and letting it really sink. Yeah. Yeah. That's when, that's when we go from yoga to yoga is a little Sanskrit joke. So to yoke the verb form, mm-hmm. to unify verb form, to union the noun, the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that collapses to yoga, the simple, the action that is a state of being, yeah? Doing and being in the same, mm-hmm. yeah. Stephanie, before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share with us on this topic? I, I'd like to share my favorite uh, aspect of yoga unplugged, <laughs> if I may, if I may is that the commitment to depth and pragmatism is exactly what modern meditators need to feel simultaneously grounded in physical reality and expansive in in our spiritual lives. Mm, Thank you. So I, I just wanted to really underscore that aims of Yoga Unplugged and my aims in my life and my teaching and my enjoyment as an individual really is, is just so in harmony here. So I, I want to thank you for such a nourishing, uh, far-reaching and deep-diving conversation. It just really lights me up. And I'm so, so grateful for the work that Yoga Unplugged is doing. So thank you. Oh, man. Thank you. I'm, that means a lot to me. And I'm really fortunate to have people like you around me that, to speak to. And I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. And I know our listeners do too. Is there any way that our listeners can connect with you and where can they find you and learn more about your work? 
Yes, I am so online. I am the most online person of <laughs> all the online people that I know. I, I do all my work. My one-on-one sessions are online sessions and that uh, you can find out a lot more about that at my website. That is skkyoga, all one word, dot com. Those are just my initials, Stephanie Keiko Kong, uh, yoga, just at, just stick the word yoga, skkyoga.com. And then if you want to jump straight to the mindful voice stuff, just add on slash mindful voice, no space, and you'll get dropped right onto a little bit about mindful voice. I would love to offer um, all of the listeners a 15 minute free, totally free mindful voice experience with me. And they can, there'll be a link on that page, skkyoga.com slash mindful voice. And I would love to just connect with people that have listened to this podcast. And if you made it to the end, you're clearly interested even a little bit. So go ahead and surf over to that link and holler at your girl. I would love to talk voice and get some of these tools for clarity and confidence and longevity and connection out into the world, just as my gift, my enjoyment and my reciprocation from that work in the world is just knowing that we are greater, more greatly harmonized as human beings together. Um, And my more personal stuff that is more behind the scenes is on my Instagram. My Instagram is at Pony Pony Tail, and that's spelled exactly like it sounds, P-O-N-Y-P-O-N-Y-T-A-I-L, Ponytail. What kind of ponytail? A pony ponytail. All one word. <laughs> and this is because, boy, I get this question a lot. So this is why I'm named Pony Ponytail. It's because when I was growing up in the 80s, my mom would ask me, what kind of ponytail do you want? Because in the 80s, Sarah, I don't know if you remember this because oh. I don't know how old you're. Like this is, this is there. the side. <laughs> okay. All right, girl. So we have... So, you know, we had a side ponytail. Yes. We had a low ponytail. You had a French braid ponytail. You had a high ponytail that was basically on the very top of your head. Mm-hmm. And the, it was like our version of I have rocked all of those. Yes, but what I wanted was a pony ponytail. And if you can imagine the angle that a horse's tail comes out of the horse's butt, it's like a 45-ish degree angle. <laughs> And that's what I wanted because that was like where I could scrunchie the best. Scrunchies were a big part of my life. So that is why Pony Ponytail. And now you'll never forget that that's my Instagram. I will never forget that. (laughs) Um, And also, I didn't forget that you wanted to take me through a quick sound journey uh, oh, example I did. I of, did. I thought yes. I was going to be real graceful and just let you end because I thought oh, no. oh, probably did let's, that on purpose. Let's, let's knock it out. Do, like, yeah. just, will it be quick? Absolutely. It'll be okay. about, it'll be about two minutes. All right. So we're just going to lightning fast through the four part mindful voice process. And this is uh, exactly what a Nada yoga practice could be a home practice, maybe a little longer than two minutes, but we'll see. So the first thing is meditative centering. Part one, just get yourself into a place where you can connect to your body, to your breath, to your spirit in whatever way that makes sense for you. So physical, take care of your physical, take care of your pranic, your breath, your life energy, and beyond, your Anandamaya Kosha, your bliss body. And I will assume that you're there, at least to the level that 30 seconds will allow. And now part two is a bit of 
voice activation. So start to hear the sound of your voice. And I'll give you a few suggestion sounds. Just hear your own voice. Listeners can participate. Hear your own voice. Humming kind of like that. I'll do one more as an example. Imagine your own voice in your head. And now start humming out loud. Sometimes I might sing with you. Sometimes it'll be just you. Keep going over and over. Beautiful. We can do that mm sound for a long, long time. But right now we're going to open up. Beautiful, Sarah. Listen to yourself as you sing. Keep going. Give us two more. One more. Gorgeous. So this third part is an expansion of that. It's call and response. We could do call and response just you singing back to you. But since I'm here, I mean, we might as well. I'll sing two or three notes and you just sing them back to me. Here we go. Ah, 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 ah. Great, now your turn, you take the lead. Great, you're gonna keep the lead. Now both of us sing back to you. So you lead, and then the two of us will be a little choir of angels. Here we go. Good, give us one more pattern and we'll both sing it back. Together. Perfect. The last part is free singing. So I'll actually do this with you. So we'll just say 12 seconds. Usually I make my clients go for about 90 seconds to two full minutes because it takes that long to let the thoughts kind of calm down. As soon as you start free singing, there are all these sort of fast thoughts that come like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to sing next. Oh my gosh, I'm really singing. Oh no, what's gonna happen now? Oh gosh, I sound amazing. Oh gosh, I sound horrible. Oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And because that occupies a lot of time space, we carry the singing on until your brain is kind of rapid fire, exhausts itself, and then you can actually pay attention to the sound that's coming out. But because this is a mini practice, just to give people an idea, I will look at my little stopwatch and we'll go for about 10 seconds and just see what happens here. So I'll sing at the same time as you, and we'll just make this commitment to listen to ourselves uh, mostly 
and each other a little am bit. I, so that am I trying to mimic the sounds you make, or am I just making the my own sounds? Great question. It is your own sounds. Okay. Your primary focus is yourself, and we're just using this time to open up a little bit. So not so inward. You're still listening to me because we are doing this together. Kind of like when you're in a yoga studio, your focus is on yourself, your practice, but you are aware of the people around you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. So same thing. Be aware of me, but not not mostly. Yeah, you're mostly in yourself. Okay. Here we go. Okay. One more breath. Yeah, we'll end with ah together. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, one thing I notice is it is so much harder to, like I run out of breath when I'm doing the ahs versus the mms. Like mm, -hmm. mm I can hold a lot longer. Yeah, it's uh, a bigger hole. Yeah, I'm like, I'm out of breath like halfway through and it just kind of fizzles mm -hmm. away. Well, halfway through, I'm, I'm going to challenge you on that. If you're out of breath halfway through, that's really the whole way through a breath. It's true, right? So, you, yeah. You, it's just it how long I, maybe halfway through what I intended, but yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bigger hole than then mm, mm is a very small hole. It's coming out through your nose. And ah is the big wide open mouth hole. Um, and it's just like warrior three, you know? Warrior three is not that different from warrior one, except it is. So I don't like to hold it as long. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any workshops or events on the horizon? I do. So my online course has been live for a little while now. That is all the mindful voice stuff that, that I've said in my first year of doing one-on-one -on -one client work in meditative singing in mindful voice. So over, so hundreds of hours of sessions and I found myself educating on the same topic. So I decided let's just make that an online foundations course that people can access at any time online uh, so that when I do one-on-one -on -one work, we can dive into really deep personal, personalized stuff. It doesn't, I don't mean to suggest it has to be super personal and deep in your stuff, um, but it is very personalized. It's very tailored uh, instead of the big foundational stuff that I say in my online course. That is always available. Um, again, Mindful Voice on my website. Just click over to skkyoga.com and you'll find everything you need right there. You can also email me, Stephanie, spelled like traditional Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, at skkyoga.com and I'll get you all settled with that online course information. And I'm doing a live online Nada Yoga practice group that's starting in my birth month of April. So if um, anybody listening, if you listening, if you, you, I'm talking to you, <laughs> headphones on, uh, I would love to have you in my online course. And that will be live calls with me in a closed group. So while the online course is sort of private, learn at your own pace, the online group will have that community circle 
connection in real time aspect to it that is just so, so precious. And what a delight to be able to do that in the digital age. So we'll have participants from who knows how many time zones all joining us together in shared vibration. I'm really, really looking forward to it. It is my birthday gift um, to the world and low key, I am part of the world. So it's a gift to myself in that way as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Stephanie. Really an honor. Thank you, Sarah. Now, I'd love to hear from all you listeners out there. So please let me know what you thought of the show. And if you have any topics or questions that you'd like me to tackle on the show, the team of Yoga Unplugged and I are here for you. So please let us know. And if you'd like to join in on the conversation with us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at yogaunplugged.org. Find us on Facebook at Yoga Unplugged by Jennifer Reuter. Reuter is spelled R-E-U-T-E-R. Or connect with us on Instagram at yoga underscore unplugged. Thanks for listening, everyone. Namaste.